But before we get into the word today and really kind of reflect upon the state of Israel, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have the opportunity to gather together as your people. As we reflect upon your scriptures, may you open up our hearts to receive the word so that we may continue to grow and flourish in our faith. Amen. Well, from an incredibly early age, John Calvin, the French reformer, was destined to study theology, the study of God. But when he realized he desired wealth, and prosperity, his direction completely shifted. He pursued a legal profession as a lawyer. With this new direction, Calvin withdrew from the study of religion and commenced his study in law. And after applying himself in this field, a miracle happened. God revealed his glory to Calvin, softened his heart, stripped him of all his idols, and made him teachable. Calvin realized that he was lost in sin. Turning to Christ for life, he then received a true knowledge of God, an intimate, experiential, heartfelt understanding of God. As he said to himself, having received some taste and knowledge of true godliness, I was immediately inflamed with such an intense desire to make progress in my faith. He began to feed on God's word. He began to teach God's word. He began to live God's word. Calvin experienced the fruit of real repentance. Real repentance. And this is the type of repentance that Israel needed. For as we have learned, the nation has no faithfulness, no love, and no acknowledgement of God. By pursuing idols around her, such as food, wine, and pagan gods, Israel, as we see in Hosea, has played the harlot. And because of this rebellion, God said, Last week in chapter 5, I will tear Israel to pieces and go away. I'll carry them off with no one to rescue them. But as we turn to chapter 6 and 7, it seems like the nation is turning back to God. We see that a speaker is crying out in the opening verses. Let us turn back to God. We must turn back to God. But as we see, as we continue to read, we see that their repentance was fake. And to reveal the heartbreaking depth of their sin, their flawed repentance, Hosea provides us with many images to illustrate their, their condition. And I want to focus on three of these images today. The first image is Israel is a morning mist. Chapter 6, verse 4, Israel is an overheated oven. Chapter 7, verse 4, and Israel is a faulty bow. Chapter 7, verse 16. And as we unpack these images, we will see that Israel had no real repentance in her. No room for real repentance. 
they didn't really turn back to God. And so let us look at this first image here. Israel is like a mining mist. Let me read Hosea 6, 4 and verse 6. What can I do with you, Ephraim, another name for Israel? What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. For I desire loyalty, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. The word love there is also loyalty. Over the past four years, I would drive through a fog, a deep fog, if it was early in the morning, to get to my church where I was. If you passed for four years at the camp, in the camp in Hagen. And as I would drive through the fog in the early morning, it was thick and wet. And I'll often drive out from the church after preparing the scripture, and by 9am, the fog completely disappeared. Well, that's Israel in a nutshell. Her loyalty is like a fog, a haze, that by 9am vanishes. The fog that once shrouded the valley, which is Israel, they have no kind of true repentance and therefore it doesn't last for long, their loyalty. God desired loyalty and an affectionate knowledge rather than a dead and false religion. And they should have known this. Centuries earlier, Samuel, the prophet, declared this to Israel. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to pay attention is better than the fat of rams. God values Israel's obedience to his commands far better than their religious rituals. Okay? Let me say that again. God values Israel's obedience far more than their religion. A steadfast loyalty in him is the true sacrificial aroma that enters the throne room of heaven and pleases and satisfies the senses of God. But because Israel's loyalty had faded away, they had no room for real repentance. And friends, real faith is displayed through real loyalty. While we are saved by faith, the sign that we have received this good news of Christ is obedience, love, affection for God. Paul says we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Even though we might partake in communion, listen to hymns, reflect upon a sermon, offer a donation, and celebrate all the church festivals on our calendars, God may declare to you one day, your love was like a morning dew, mist. You had no affection of me. Your God was the, religion, the religious experience rather than me. And because you failed to love me, you will reap your reward. And so, brothers and sisters, with Paul, the apostle, I urge you to offer your bodies, your whole life, as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, 
that this is our true act of worship. Our lives live before the throne of God in full submission and obedience. And we do that by standing up for the oppressed. Through teaching our kids the Bible. For me personally, I sit down with my children every night at 6.30 and read them the scriptures. And sing songs with them. That daily rhythm of worship is one of the ways in which I live a life of loyalty to God. Soon we have the opportunity to pack Operation Christmas child boxes. That might be a way to display the love of God at work in you. Or having compassion of your, on your neighbour. You may see that they're really struggling with something. Coming alongside them. Loving the stranger, the neighbour. This is the loyalty that God was after. But Israel had no loyalty. And so my first application is loyalty is the fruit is a fruit of real repentance. And the second image that we see in this scripture is Israel is like an overheated oven. Check out chapter 7, verses 4 to 7, if you have your Bibles. They are all adulterers, burning like an oven whose fire the baker need to stir from the kneading of the dough till it rises. On the day of the festival of our king, the princes became inflamed with wine. And he joins hands with the mockers. Their hearts are like an oven. They approach him with intrigue. Their passion smoulders all night. In the morning it blazes like a flaming fire. All them are hot as an oven. They devour their rulers. All their kings fall. And none of them calls on me. Calls on me. In the ancient world, a hot oven was a metaphor, an image for fiery sexual passions. And this is not too removed from our culture. Most sexual symbols today are fiery red in their colour scheme. Think of Valentine's Day. Red roses, red hearts, red chocolates are found everywhere. And in our pop culture, when commenting on the attractiveness of another person, we often describe people as spicy, hot, or steamy, especially my generation. And this is the type of sexual imagery that is presented here. Israel is burning in their sexual passion for idols, false gods. But they are not hot for God. They are fired up for wickedness. Look at verse 5 there if you have your Bibles in chapter 7. The princes have become inflamed with wine. This is not a wise enjoyment of fermented grapes. This is an extreme passion that leads to chaos. The princes then join their hands with mockers because they were so inflamed with wine. These mockers would have teased and laughed at holiness. And as the princes united with these outlaws, they got angry throughout the night. This anger refers to an altered awareness. Often when people overdrink, in our world, um, throughout all of history, many people respond to alcohol with an altered state of mind. They get angry. 
And because of their alcohol-induced minds, the leaders became blind. And as the hot oven blazed into the morning, the result was gloomy. What did the overheated oven do? It took out the rulers of Israel, the images. Because of their blindness, their drunkenness, Israel's rulers had no room for repentance. Because they had an altered state of awareness, they couldn't even think of God. It's very hard for people who are inflamed with wine to direct their eyes at God. And that's what happened to Israel. Their mind was just completely far from God. Friends, as mentioned in the past weeks, sin at its very core is the breach in a love relationship with God. And so when we choose to be inflamed with wine, for example, we are declaring, this is my true lover. And we must be careful when material things such as alcohol, sport, sex, study, money, homes, take over our mind so much so that we can't even think about God anymore. For when these things control us, they soon alter our state of awareness. And when we are blind to our sin, our vision of Christ and his glory is blurred. This leaves many Christians in a very vulnerable position. Sin begins to rage within us. And we are more prone, more vulnerable to Satan's attacks. Therefore, we must listen to 1 Peter, chapter 5, verses 8 to 9. Let me read what he says to, his, to the church. Be self-controlled and alert. The key word there is alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith. But how can we be vigilant to Satan's schemes in our life? His real presence. Well, firstly, we must become more vigilant to Satan's presence in our lives, the reality of our spiritual warfare with him, and the nature of his attacks. And to help you understand how he deceives us, I want to read, I want, you, I want to encourage you to pick up a book. The, the book is The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Letters from a senior to a junior devil. Okay, it's, it's quite a funny read. But it's really getting at how the devil influences us and leads us away from having our mind focused on Jesus. And to illustrate what C.S. Lewis does in this book, let me summarize the 16th chapter. In this chapter, Wormwood's patient, Wormwood, sorry, is um, the junior devil and Screwtape is the senior devil. In this chapter, Wormwood's patient has been attending only one church since his conversion. Screwtape then warns Wormwood that this is a bad sign. Wormwood should try to make the patient uncertain about his church. 
Wormwood should make him seek out a church like wine to fit his senses and tastes. By making the patient unsatisfied with his church, it will make him more critical of it. Screwtape then says he, he has looked up two churches closest to the patient's home. The minister at one of, his, one of these churches has watered down the faith and made it more palatable to the modern ear. He only reads from 15 Psalms and teaches the same lessons on rotation. At the other church, the minister shocks and surprises his congregation all the time. The people often leave the church very grieved, puzzled, humiliated. With the severe flaws in both of these churches, Screwtape then encourages Wormwood to make the patient, the Christian, join some social group with either church. This will take his mind off the gospel of Christ and make church going a purely social activity. Friends, Satan desires to really devour our faith. He does. His number one mission is to make us ineffective in this life. His main mission is to take our eyes off the, the glory of Christ and say, look at this idol. Ravi Lee can be your God. This social experience can be your God. This wine can be your God. Don't look at Jesus. Look at this idol. That's what Satan's doing. And that's what he did to Israel. He desires to oppose God's will for our lives. He desires to confuse our thoughts and blind us to the truth. And so, as 1 Peter tells us, we must be sober-minded and watchful at all times. Vigilance is a fruit of real repentance. And so they're the two fruits that flow from real repentance today. Loyalty to Christ and vigilance. Loyalty to Christ and vigilance. And Hosea wraps up this this teaching, this, this sermon to Israel with a third image. Israel is like a faulty bow. Hosea 7 verses 15 to 16 says, I trained them and strengthened them, but they plot evil against me. They did not turn to the Most High. They are like a faulty bow. Their leaders will fall by the sword because of their words, insolent words, for they will be ridiculed in the land of Egypt. When I was in high school, we would often do archery for sport. And because the school could not afford expensive $1,000 bows, we would have to use plastic ones. Yet since they were so cheap, they often were faulty. The string of the bows were never tight enough. As the students with these faulty bows pulled back the strings and released the bow, sorry, the, the arrow, the arrows would flop to the ground and completely miss the targets in front of us. Israel is that faulty bow. Even though the nation is suffering from judgment, they are so deep in their sin that they can't even turn to the Most High God, the rightful target of their faith. 
They are unable to turn. Turn away from idols to serve the living God. So sad. So depressing. The God who redeemed them from slavery, they had forgotten. So sad. There is no remorse for sin at all. The end result is depressing. Egypt will gather them and Memphis, a city in Egypt, will bury them, Hosea tells us in chapter 9, verse 6. The stakes are high. Israel has no room for real repentance. Israel is a bow of unrepentance. Oh, how he must pay attention to this warning by failing to sit at the feet of Christ with a deep, heartfelt, honest remorse for our sin. We are truly at risk of rejecting God's free offer of salvation that is before us. But if we, sit at the, if we sit at the feet of Christ, looking at his nails, his crown of thorns, his tortured body, his atoning blood, and declare, Father, forgive me, for I have sinned, lead me to Christ that I might be, might be refreshed, we will have an overwhelming hope in this life. So real repentance of turning away from idols to serve the living and true God will be washed clean from all our sin. God will look at us and see a pure dove. Like someone who jumps into the icy ocean on summer's day, we will be refreshed and purified. The cleansing waters of God's grace will set us free from the chains of Satan, sin, death. That is the gospel. That is why it's good news. It's not just news. It's good news, the gospel. And so, as Acts tells us, we must repent and turn to God so that our sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. As Ezekiel 18.32 says, For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent and live. This is a heartfelt, honest, idol-crushing, life-changing repentance. And so if you have not received Christ as your Lord, your Saviour, through an announcement of real repentance, saying, yes, Lord, you are my vision, Lord of my heart, I urge you this day to turn your whole self to Christ if, you're, if you have not done so already. For the sake of your life, your children's lives, your grandchildren's lives, offer your whole self to the world's true King, Jesus Christ. For unlike Israel, God has room for real repentance. Amen. God has room for you. He loves you so much. He does. And so if you'd like to turn to Christ today, if you haven't already, or if you'd just like to remind yourself that Christ is your King, say Amen at the end of this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I need your son, Jesus. Open the door of my life 
so that I can receive him as my saviour, Lord and friend. Thank you for forgiving my sins through his blood and giving me the hope of eternal life through his resurrected body. Now as I await my eternal glory, take full control of my life and by your spirit's power, enable Christ to reign within me. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.